Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, what's up, everybody? Jamie Eads here. Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. This is episode number 11. Thanks so much for tuning in. We really do appreciate it. As always, we're going to ask you to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a rating or review. Give us an email at thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and you can always find me hanging out over at jamieeads.com fantastic episode today we have the great johnny rab joining us in just a moment so let us pay some bills and stay tuned lost cabos drumsticks may be the best kept secret from drummers today lost cabos drumsticks makes the finest tools to touch a drummer's hands in the business the best news almost every popular stick size is available in both white hickory and red hickory If you don't know what red hickory is, it's made from the heartwood of the hickory tree, unlike regular white hickory, which is made from sapwood. Red hickory drumsticks will hold up to even the hardest hitting drummers. Their durability comes from the density of the wood, but they do not sacrifice the feel. Please visit LosCabosDrumsticks.com to learn more about their products. And don't forget to ask at your favorite retailer for Los Cabos Drumsticks. Folks, our guest today is just one of the best drummers out there. Uh, Johnny Rabb has played with pretty much everybody. Uh, Tanya Tucker, Hank III, uh, Mindy McCready, Dina Carter. Uh, He he did a lot of work down in Nashville. He is also a co-founder of the band Biodiesel, which is just a a fantastic band with, with the amazing bass player Clay Parnell. Uh, But Johnny, since 2012, has been sitting in the drum throne and is a full-time member of Collective Soul. Now, you'll hear us talk a little bit about Collective Soul going out on the road, and um, we referred to an upcoming tour that he couldn't quite um, you know, commit to, but it has since, uh, we recorded the episode, it has been announced. Uh, it is the rock and roll express tour and it is three doors down collective soul, uh, and soul asylum on some of those dates. And that tour kicks off on July 6th and it will be coming to a city near you and tickets are on sale as we go to air with this episode. So go grab some tickets, go see Johnny and collective soul live. Um, just a fantastic show. They just recently released a live album, uh, featuring Johnny's drumming. And we talk a little bit about that as well, uh, but uh, it, just a fantastic drummer. Um, he has been a clinician for many, many years. So we're very pleased to welcome Johnny Rab to the Drum Shuffle. Good afternoon, Johnny. How you doing today? Good. How are you doing? Man, Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, for sure. Yeah, we really appreciate you coming on the Drum Shuffle. And, you know, I always typically try to start with my guests uh, of saying, you know, uh, 
asking about their background and how they came up, but I'm going to do something a little different for you because one of my previous guests was Josh Touchton from Natal Drums, and we had a, a yeah. great interview. But Josh, in his interview, said, you know what? Johnny Rab is the perfect combination of technical ability and feel. So I'm going to give you the opportunity right off the bat to respond to Josh. <laughs> well, that's ex- extremely kind. I mean, uh, I've known Josh for many years uh, from the Nashville days and when I moved to Nashville in 1996. And um, it's very kind of him to say that. I feel like obviously I'm always working on things. Uh, you see technical players, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset of wanting to play all the things to have in your in your bag of tricks, if you will, whether it's chops or control or you know speed or not speed. But then at the same time, I grew up playing groove and songs. And the band that I work with is a band that writes songs and great songs, in my opinion. Um, uh, Ed, Ed Roland and Collective Soul, that is. And I grew up doing that. So and I grew up with the '80s, like late mid '70s, '80s rock, pop, and also fusion and jazz and funk. Um, so. I don't know if, uh, I mean, I definitely get humbled by that because that's so nice to hear from Josh because I have been for a little bit um, kind of on my own accord pigeonholed into like a clinician uh, for for many years. So I'm very happy that now I'm back to touring and recording with a band that's that's a great band. So that's very nice of Josh, and uh, he's a great guy, and we've known each other all the way back from like Mapex early days and then my drumstick company days. Yeah, and, for uh, sure. He's a longtime friend and great drummer, and 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 just a he's always so positive. So I, I really really dig that about Josh, and 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 funny. So we have a good time laughing and et cetera. Absolutely. Well, I I wanted to give you the opportunity because I know you know, and I'm very blessed with this show that Josh, you know, Josh and I have have built a really good relationship. You know, I'm with Natal Drums now, and um, he listens yeah. to every episode, which is so cool to me. You know that I've got Josh listening to to all these episodes, but um, so. <laughs> It, it really is. And I appreciate the support. He's been a big cheerleader for the drum shuffle and, and for Jamie Eads. So I really do appreciate that. Um, Fantastic. So, so Johnny, walk us through a little bit. You know, I, I know you live in Indianapolis now. I do. Yeah. Um, but tell us a little bit about where you grew up. And and I know that you uh, went to Berkeley College of Music up in Boston. Give us a little bit about it, uh, of your background. How did you get into drumming originally? Uh, in a nutshell, got into drumming as an early young kid, um, <clears throat> maybe age three or yeah, two or three was given like the toy drum set that unfortunately you break those heads within like a week after the holidays <laughs> or Christmas, whatever you celebrate. But in my case it was Christmas. So, uh, I got into it. I always tell this kind of the same story, but, uh, there was a marching band, like a holiday marching band, Christmas time, marching Christmas parade. My parents took me in Virginia, Fairfax, Virginia, is where I was born. And um, I know it's going to be a quick story, but basically when the snare line went by or the drum line went by, I was like, that feeling that I still have to this day when I go check out drum lines and stuff, whether they're warming up or, you know, DCI, WGI, whatever. It just was this amazing feeling, especially with the approach of the drum line and then the exit of the drum line. You know, you're stationary and they're coming from left to right or right to left, but in this case, left to right. 
and it was just amazing. I was like, I love how that felt in my, you know, body, just like the movement of it. So I want to play drums, I want to play drums, I want to play drums. Then, luckily, my parents took me to, they don't have this that much anymore, but a, a marimba band that this high school had. And when I think about back about it and judging it compared to now, their skill level was awesome. Like, I mean, it was like ridiculous. They had like a vinyl record they made. And I remember going to the show and vividly remember like, you know, all the adults laughing because I could not stop dancing around like this, this concert that they had. And it was like the marimbas, all marimba and then a drum kit player. And I was blown away. So I didn't get serious until probably I was like eight years old or so. It, but I did, I was self-taught up to about eight years old. And, uh, it's, it's, it's quite interesting. I don't know if I've told this story, but my first kit was my dad's coworker was like, we got some drums in my garage because we moved here and like the people left them. And that, that's weird, right? You, you don't hear that that often. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So it was a, it was an entry level bass drum with no beater. And then my parents bought me the old, this is amazing, but the old, uh, CB 700, which is no disrespect to that company, but obviously a student level. So it was very difficult to get the sound that great, but I had that and that bass drum was a 20 inch bass drum with no pedal. So remember, I didn't have a teacher yet. So you were kicking I, it. <laughs> well, no, no, this is even crazier. And it actually like added to what I sometimes do now. I had it set up on its uh, resonant head, right? was on the floor of the carpet that side down, and then the big bass drum was like a floor tom, if you will, facing me upwards, and the snare was next to it to my left. So it'd be like in a floor tom position for a, a right-hand lead player. And I had a camber, which is like, again, the hardest symbol to make sound good, the student-level camber. I started, I started out on a set of cambers myself. Yeah, and it's cool, but as you know, cambers are... Uh, very thick and very student. So it, 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 you know, apparently it's supposed to be some all around symbol. So because it sounded pretty horrible as a crash, I had it over as a ride symbol. So what I would do is play right hand, eighth notes, left hand bass drum parts, left hand snare drum parts. So I would play crank my stereo. I'll never forget my Panasonic stereo to five, which my dad's like, dude, turn it down. Uh, I, I put it to five and that would be just enough to get the mix right through the speakers and then play the kit along to either the cars or Devo or I, I never forget doing Thomas Dolby blind to be my science uh, as like my first little tune. And then also ACDC stuff. Um, and then I'll wrap this part up by saying, then we found a used bass drum pedal. Um, and weirdly enough, I, I had to learn how to use it. And I was so used to playing left hand bass drum that it took me a good month to even get any coordination. So that's how I started. And, and it's a great question because even in band, they had a permission slip that was sent home and it said, Mark, what instrument you want to play? And it was like flute, trumpet, clarinet, you know, trombone, et cetera. There was no drum thing. So I, I remember going to the kitchen, telling my mom and checked off trumpet. And nothing wrong with trumpet. Uh, my, my daughter plays trumpet. Uh, my mother-in-law played trumpet. Uh, my wife uh, played trumpet. So everyone's trumpet. Uh, and it's an awesome instrument. But I, that wasn't where my heart was. So my mom, if she didn't do this, who knows what would have happened? She comes in and goes, 
are you sure you want to play trumpet? Didn't you say you like drums? And I'm like, yeah, but it's not on there. And she goes, well, I'm going to call music stores and get you drum lessons. Well, she did. That's fantastic. But what was funny is the band, the school band, had no drums. So I, weirdly enough, got to play drum set um, with that little made-up kit um, from, like, day one. And there was no drum parts. I was just doing it by ear and playing, (laughs) like, grooves to concert band music. (laughs) That's fantastic. It was pretty neat. So that's my early childhood and how I got into drums. Well, that's awesome. Um, it's fun, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what a unique story. Um, now, did you, I, I'm guessing you followed the band path. You know, I, I'm guessing you, you did, did marching band in high school and stuff. Because, I mean, I, I think guys that have never touched drums don't go to, to Berkeley, right? I mean, it, so walk us through kind of your, your early years and, and getting up to Boston. Sure. Well, I think it's important to kind of touch on the fact, because I want to make sure it's, uh, you know, some fact or whatever, um, that I did not do marching band. Um, I love marching band. I love drum corps. I love WGI DCI. And in my, my drumstick days, uh, you know, obviously the company's relaunched now, but back in the, you know, 2000s and stuff, we sponsored WGI and, and, and uh, DCI. And I got to hang out with all these legends right so like that was my drum corps experience from from luckily uh being a little spoiled from being able to go hang out with these guys that are like wizards at that i uh was in a unique situation in that california is where i grew up sacramento i don't know how this happened but i am so glad it did my folks moved from washington dc to california sacramento and like all good parents, they found the school system that was like the top school system in the area. And um, the bottom line is, as soon as I got to, so I got out of elementary school, and that was like the made-up drums, if you will. You know what I mean? I started doing lessons with Mike Lawson, who's like a a key figure in my life for drums. Uh, I just talked to him literally before we got on the phone. Uh, He was my drum teacher at Skip's Music, and he's definitely the reason I got into Berkeley. Um, along with my high school band director and junior high director, to be honest. So just to kind of give you a little path, you said about high school and such and a path to Berkeley. Um, Arden Junior High School was Wayne Reimers. I don't know if he's still living. I sure hope he is. What a great guy. What a pain in the rear I was in that class because uh, (laughs) I screwed around quite a bit. Um, I mean, quite a bit, like getting in the drum locker, you know, and like, a lot of behavior problems. I got F's for the day and stuff. It's pretty bad. <laughs> but when it came to drums, um, I was serious about it. And he got me into, they, they, in eighth grade, had a stage band, they called it. And it was the area's best one. So ironically, there were so many cool goals set. Because when I was at Del Deo Elementary, Arden Junior High would come and play a concert for the kids. And I'm like, I am going to do that drum set position someday. Well, got in there. There's another guy who's turned out to be a professional uh, TV um, personality. But at the time, Jonathan was my kind of, he was my best buddy, but he was also my rival because he was better than me at at drums. Um, And at that age, I always try to tell people this, you got to go for it because for some reason as a kid, you have this feeling of like, well, I can't do that. I can't, I can't surpass this guy. He's better than me. Well, that's where Mike Lawson came in and we had lessons and he's like, he's like, stop saying you can't 
get that first chair. All we got to do is practice and do what I say, and you'll get in there. Sure enough, by middle of seventh grade, that happened. And then um, that's a feeder school to the high school, which was a lot of times the state's, you know, best big band and combos um, and concert band. I was focused on drum set. So I went into Rio and same situation. There was an amazing drummer that was a junior when I was a freshman. I'm like, no way I'm ever going to get anything in this. This is, this guy's too good. Same lecture by my drum teacher, Mike, dude, you have to trust me. You can do this. We just have to keep trying. I wasn't seeing it that way. I'm seeing, uh, again, I still keep in touch with him time to time. Dan Cassis, uh, who lives in Nashville now, I, I still drums for fun, but not for a living. Um, he was in the chair. Well, just kind of worked my way up and did uh, PM jazz, which is literally like the time, like AM and PM. So PM met after school, and AM was the top band that met in the uh, morning at 6 a.m. to do the practices. So bottom line is I did the whole work my buns off and uh, got the, you know, when when Dan was always kind of first chair, but I was starting to share with him when he was a senior and I was a sophomore. And then when he left, it was kind of cool. Junior and senior year, I was full AM band, and just unique experiences. I mean, we, the competitions were everything from, I mean, Monterey Jazz Festival was the big one. And that's a big deal. I didn't realize it because I lived there, but it was a big deal to have that experience of competing against everyone in the state of California, everyone outside of California. Um, and that was my focus was this stage band, big band and, and reading charts. And I got in there early and just by accident. So that was what, really led me into the Berkeley path. And, um, quite honestly, my last little story about, um, marching band, I gave up on it. I also played competitive soccer. Um, so it was competitive soccer and drums. And my friend Nick was like, Hey man, Sacramento freelancers are having auditions come out. You've got to do this. That's the marching DCI core, right? So mm-hmm. Blue Devils and all these guys are all California based. So like top guys, right? So I went there and it was a Saturday day camp to see how drummers do. And I am not dissing anybody that's involved because I wish I would have done it. But what happened was, unfortunately, when I got there, that whole day was focused on my posture and I have a natural slouch, which is a drag, but I do. So Don Silva, and Don, if you're out there, uh, I feel bad saying this, but Don Silva was the reason I did not continue doing uh, freelancers. Uh, he was so focused on the posture. I get it, old school, and, and get this whipped into shape. I'm, I'm cool, and maybe I'm a wimp, but it was a drag. We barely hit a drum. It was uh, an unfun experience. So when I came home, my mom... And dad were like, okay, how'd it go? And I'm like, it was cool. Um, and they're like, you've got to give up soccer if you're going to do it because it costs a little bit of money and it's like a big, you know, commitment. And I was pretty good at soccer at the time. So I continued doing soccer and did not do the uh, marching slash drum corps. Um, so unfortunately, that was a bad experience, but I got to relive it later with my buddies that are in DCI, WGI, and work on hands and stuff like that. So um, there you go. I know I'm rambling, but that's, there's, that's kind of the, my drum experience up to through high school. The only thing I'll add is weirdly enough, Rio Americano high school had a marching band, but the year 
two years after, or sorry, two years before I went to high school, they stopped doing marching band and focused only on the stage band, concert band. And I'll tell you what, it was like a weird, lucky thing for me because all my time was on drum kit. Yeah, so, well, really strange how it works out. I I just find it amazing that that you just told us you chose soccer over drumline. I mean, <laughs> yep. you know, I mean, yep. this, it, it's you do know you're Johnny Rab, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, I know who I am, I guess, and I'm not being you know smart, but I'm saying I, I don't look at myself as uh, anything but a guy that still loves drums and I'm so happy I can do it for a living. And and quite honestly, you might laugh, but I'll never forget at uh, Oakland Jazz Festival. It was literally Oakland Jazz Festival in Oakland, California. And I was a big fan of Tower Power and Dave Garibaldi. And, and, and you know, here's back to Oakland. I'm in Oakland. I'm doing, I'm like close to Dave Garibaldi. I'm in Oakland. I'm close to Tower Power. I'm freaking out, you know, in my mind. And I didn't know Dave at the time. But so I'm like, man, there's scouts from Berkeley here. There's, there's like people getting scouts from different colleges, whatever. And this is a true story. I had a guy come up from USC and say, hey, we really need, it was after we, my combo played, the combo, because it's an obviously team effort, but the combo played. And the, it was really a fun experience to get, you know, either placing first and second on these things. And so we were getting some attention from college scouts. So Berkeley, um, they did their, this is very kind what they did. They gave like a little scholarship, like $1,500 to like entice you to, and, and I'm not dissing it. It's just, it is what it is. It's a, it's a, hey, we want you to come here. Not a full ride or anything, but like we'll, we'll help on, you know, a little bit of tuition. Here's, a, here's like kind of a, an interest award, if sure. you will. Like we're showing interest in you. So that was what I was excited about. But I will never forget you said the marching soccer thing. USC said, you play soccer. I said, yes. And you, we really need some more people on the drum line. And I tell you what, it was interesting. I knew enough that I had a few friends go pro in soccer uh, when indoor was big and the MLA, the indoor soccer league was huge in, in, in California. Uh, and uh, this uh, San Jose Earthquakes soccer indoor. So I had a few friends go play for the Sacramento Knights, which like drumming is a very tough thing to make it in. But these guys were, I knew their level was better than mine. And uh, even doing... Um, like regional select soccer teams. I was always a smaller guy and it got more intimidating. So the USC kind of gentleman was, was cool. And he's a man who can do soccer and, you know, partial scholarship for soccer and the drums. And uh, I knew enough. I'm like, there's no way I'll probably play. Uh, Cause my friend Brian was going to, I think USC and he got red shirted and he was far better than me. So obviously if you don't know red shirted, it means you, you're on the team, but for the first couple of years, you're not even playing a minute right. in the game. So there's my story with soccer and drums. I knew uh, drums was my passion, but when it came to like, you know, USC or Berkeley, it's kind of a no brainer for me on the focus. So that's how that went down. Sure. Well, and I, you know, uh, before we started our interview, you know, we were talking about one of my past guests, uh, Nate Morton, and you made the comment yep. that you guys were both at Berkeley at the same time, which I didn't know that. Um, yes, we we were, <laughs> which is just, you know, I mean, it, it's a small world, you know, when you when you get to the, the top of the, the, the drumming heap and, you know, clearly guys that go to Berkeley, when you leave there, you're going to be a good drummer. If I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, because you're learning from world class faculty. 
Um, you know, so yeah. I, I, and I know some of the other guys that that were there around the same time as you. Um, just amazing. Uh, the players, the guys that came out of Berkeley in those four or five years, it just unbelievable. Um, you know, share anything you want about your experience in Boston. Oh, absolutely. Um, like you just said, the, um, experience there was fantastic. And I was very, uh, even though I grew up in Sacramento and I've been to San Francisco and Oakland and all the stuff, it was always underneath my parents' guidance. So I'm not going to lie. That first semester was pretty much hell for me because I was so culture shocked. I'd never been to a New York, Boston, or some big city. Um, and so I was freaked out. I was like, look at all these bikes, taxis zipping around. I was, I was freaked out. And I will tell you a true story that, uh, person that was at that school did the convocation show i'm sure nate could attest to how cool this was too but um and my other friends of the freshman year but abel boreal jr was there and he was uh studying production or music synthesis i think but that dude was like as good then as he is like right now oh man and yeah so he plays taking it to the streets the doobies, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. And it was the most ridiculous thing, and, and that's what the show was for, to get you pumped up, like, here's what you can get, you know, here's how you can be, check out this concert, this is a student, this is a student band. It was the first taste of, like, the holy crap factor, this is ridiculous, listen to that sound, listen to that professionalism, listen to the whole groove, whatever. So there's a couple dudes that, that, that did this. And I mean, it was like meeting you, you know, like you go backstage, you might, you know, I, of course, like Steve Smith's my favorite and I've become good buddies with him, but you know, like meeting him is like, that's what it was like for me. When Abe was out on the sidewalk, I walked up, I'm like, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> that was amazing. Like, and he's, Oh man, thanks dude. And at that time he had huge hair, um, like sideshow Bob from the Simpsons, like literally just all his hair was growing out. So it was really cool. He had like a lot of energy and, animated behind the kit and grooved like like nobody uh which is still holds true to today yeah he was the reason and my drum teacher that i stayed at school i was so mentally frazzled about the culture shock i know that sounds so dumb but i just was missed home all the way from california to boston it's a long way away you did not have facetime you didn't have cell phones you had the coin phone the right. pay phone so getting a hold of folks or your friends was, was not cool. You'd have your parents going, you spent 15 bucks on that call. What are you doing? Stay <laughs> off the phone. Whereas now, right, we could talk whenever. So anyway, Abe was a huge key in me staying um, as a student. He doesn't know that, but he, he was. And, and we've, I would say we're still acquaintances. And I see him, you know, he's done some really cool things for me um, at NAM shows and just really nice things and, you know, uh, career-wise and, and great dude. So, you know, that was one of the reasons I stayed there and was like, wow, you can be that good. I'm going to do this. This is forget about this homesickness. I'm, I'm still going to be homesick, but I'm going to do this. So stayed glad I did. Uh, I don't know if Nate, Nate would say this, but like I saw him less than six months ago at the same rehearsal space. He was doing the voice rehearsals. I was doing some stuff for Mapex at the time checking out some gear and we're in the same place. And he came out of the hall. I'm like, dude, I heard you were here. He's like, no way. Hugged. 
Nate and I had a great relationship. Um, I'm sure he would agree that everyone at Berkeley, though, had this kind of friendly competition. Um, it was a cutthroat co- competitive school. And so even though we were cool to each other, we were all trying to get the same gigs within the school and as many, uh, they call them BPC shows, Berkeley Performance Center shows. He tried to, it, it's no different than the real world. We were out there trying our best and, you know, they, I guess cutting heads with each other and total respect, never any negativity, but just a pretty competitive school. And, um, you know, I'm kind of hesitant because I feel horrible, but my good buddy, John Blackwell, has uh, passed away uh, recently, and he was another person that uh, came in a year after me, and we were very friendly, competitive, and, and very uh, trying to get gigs, and there's just a lot I remember from the John days and Nate days, and uh, my friend Jeff Marino plays for uh, uh, Darius Rucker now, and he was the one that convinced me to move to Nashville which was so super kind of him because he could have easily been the guy that says, no, don't come here. There's no room for you here. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, but instead he said, no, dude, you got to come here live. You got to live in Nashville. And I have many more players. I mean, Antonio Sanchez, uh, obviously Grammy winning drummer at this point. I mean, I remember trying out for the same ensembles and go to why did he get it? And then I'm like, watch the concert and go, oh, okay, that's why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. You know, you name off these guys and it's like, you know, certified drum gods, you know, for, for us mere mortal working guys, you know, I mean, it's like the guys we try to emulate and look up to all of you guys were there at the same time. It's, it's ridiculous, really, if you it, think about it. It, it. it is a, um, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's fascinating to me and I haven't even named even more of the guys. I mean, Cheryl Crow's latest drummer is was was in there, and Fred Elfingham um, probably screwing up his last name because I never could say it right. I mean, he was there being mellow. You had Bill Leffler, is uh, you had Ken Tondre, all these guys that are like working pros. Uh, my God, uh, Stacy Jones. He is. I mean, he's been he's with Matchbox Twenty now. He had his own band, American Hi-Fi, fronting the band that had hits. It's really, and these are all dudes like. Like Stacy, uh, I mean, a lot of people are like who's Stacy Jones. I don't mean that if he's heard this, but the guy, it doesn't. It, he is so good at music and drums. It's like, it's amazing. And and he's L.A. based now. And no, he he I was tell you this, he was the drummer on the Veruca Salt records, right? Yes. Okay. While I, he was a freak, and and then he did, yeah, absolutely, yes, yes, yes. And uh, Letters to Cleo was a band he had in Berkeley that was signed. I mean, the dude <laughs> was on. Let me just put it this way: I'd go watch the guy play pro gigs as a student. Like he was a student, and he was on the level of pro. So that, that's the that that respect I have for him. And he's such a nice person, and I'll never forget. One night, he's like, "Dude, you want to come over and hang and whatever?" And I'm like, "Yes." So I go over to his house in in Alston, Massachusetts, which is like 20 minutes out of Boston. You take a, take the T over. And I'll never forget him putting a VHS in, and, and it was uh, Keith Richards, and it was the live band with Charlie Drayton, and, and, and I told him how much I liked Keith Richards. He said, come over, let's watch the video live. So Charlie Drayton playing keyboards, and Charlie Drayton going to drums, and Steve Jordan playing drums. It's like, you got to be joking me with Keith Richards' band, right? So the expensive <laughs> winos. Yeah. We're watching this. And then we go up, and it's time to crash out. And... Uh, you know, a super innocent hang, too. It's no, we weren't drinking, doing nothing. We are just watching drum videos. And we crash out. He's like, oh, dude. And, like, we're, it's dark in the room. And, like, we're, he's like, all right, man, we crash on the couch. And he's like, man, 
what do you want to do when you get out of Berkeley? And I, I'll never forget this because he did exactly what he said he wanted to do. I said, I don't know, man, like tour with bands, you know, like drum, whatever. And he literally goes, dude, I want to, I go, what do you want to do? And he goes, I, I kind of want to be a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember laughing at the time going like, what, how do you do that? Dude, what are you, what are you talking about? That dude is, I haven't talked to him for quite a while, but he is one of my heroes. Like as far as just, he did everything. He plays drums like a beast. He produces, he band leads. He, I mean, you know, Hannah Montana to, to, uh, and I'm spacing out, help me out on what she is now. Hannah Montana, what's her, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did all that band leading and now he's like Matchbox 20 and the, the guy. Anyway, so you get the idea of some of the dudes that were in, in freaking Berkeley. It was. Yeah. I mean, it's and players, both male and female, by the way, not just dudes, but it, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's just stupefying to me, you know, and, and, you know, I, every time I think about that, I don't feel so bad that I didn't get in. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like, if, no. if that's the competition, you know, I mean, seriously, I mean, I was joking with Nate and I said, you know, it was, you know, Berkeley or Musicians Institute. Those were the two goals growing up as a drummer. And, you yeah. know, I, I just simply didn't have the the chops or the reading ability to, to go to either of those schools, quite honestly. And that's OK. You know, my life has turned out OK. But if you look at the guys that went through Berkeley Musicians Institute, I mean, it's just a who's who in the music business. And, you know, I think it it gets you started on that path. And, you know, for you, you know, I've followed your career for years and years. Um, you know, world's fastest drummer at one point, right? I mean, I do you still hold that record? By the way, I'm I'm not I'm not sure. No, no it's okay. No, I don't. And I mean, that's a I won't open that huge can of worms there. But Mike Mangini does now, okay, and validly so. I love Mike so much. Uh, he does, and I don't hold it, but it sure had a, a very good run and was so fun to get very outside the box type of TV coverage, like stuff I would have never imagined. So, you know, it's not just for some reason that title or that term, it just opened people's eyes, like on more of the mainstream, like, wait, what world's fastest drummer is such a, 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 you know, boo, boo came up with that, that term. And it, it really worked for some great press. I love boo. Uh, to this day, he's worked hard on the WFD stuff, but it just, it got to a point and I want to make it clear. I cannot, play i can maybe play a thousand the the thousand seventy one was the was the record for a while and then mike's like 12 something so to get up to and that's beat that's beats for 12 1200 beats in a minute and 60 seconds so it's very um <laughs> ridiculously quick in a single stroke roll no um, it took like <laughs> yeah yeah it took like rocky style training it was weird it, and what it was happening was i was getting a little bit of feedback of like well, is this rigged? You keep, and I don't mean this arrogantly, but you keep going to NAM and no one's passing it. So I admittedly kind of like stopped training and just kind of like, and then Mike came along and was like at the NAM booth and he, he beat it and he beat it by a lot. I was kind of excited because then it made it real and it didn't make it like, well, yeah, Johnny again's just doing his little connection <laughs> with Boo. You know, it's a rigged event. It made me happy because it became... You know, like, I'm like, good. Hey, everyone, look, he beat me. It is, you know, I, I really can't surpass Mike. So 
there it is real. I'm not like it's not rigged. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, but quickly about your thing about Berkeley. This is a tough one, but there's people that entered there as well that that it was surprising to me. I have to be honest um, that weren't maybe they shouldn't have been there. I hate I hate to say that, and like we don't have to cut this out of the the uh, cast, but it's true. There were people that could barely hold sticks, and it shocked me. Um, and they were saying, hey, "I'm going to be a percussion drum major," and I was like, "What is happening?" <laughs> uh, I wasn't mad at them. I'm just saying, what what is the reason for it? It was shocking to me. So there was some folks that were basic players that I it, and I when I say holding the sticks, I mean like the the first lesson in one of the classes, like how to hold sticks. It was like in the book. I couldn't believe it when I looked at the course level. It's like what what's happening here. So I know that's a deep can that I'm opening, so I'll, I'll shut it. But it's just a, that tripped me out a little bit. Uh, but I will say that you're correct. The people that came out of there, there's a lot of folks from that 95, 94, 94 through 96, seven that were, it's pretty crazy. Everyone's doing really well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's just, it's literally a, a who's who, uh, in the music business. I mean, in terms of drummers, um, Oh, you know, can I say one more thing? Absolutely. Okay. And that is, cause this is important. Uh, the other Nate, Nate and I were like kind of head to head. What I mean is like doing the same thing. So it was, he was awesome and, and he's incredible. And I'm so, so pumped for him, what he's achieved and, and, and nothing but, uh, the support for him for the voice and the gigs he's done in LA. And so that's, that, that part's cool. Uh, same with John Blackwell. I want to give a major shout out about John because we were super, all of us some, some competitiveness and there was definitely some times where it was like, yeah, you'd, you'd, you'd argue, you'd see him in the hall and you'd, you'd, we'd, we'd argue. Uh, cause it would be, uh, as I said, nah, I didn't think that sounded that good. Johnny, I'm like, you know, I think you can imagine what I said back to him yeah. <laughs> uh, in defense of myself. So we had some, some heated discussions and you, you, you get that way. You've got even in school cause you're, I don't know. It's like, it, it, these are, your people you're trying to, you know, get first chair above or get the gig from, even though they weren't paid gigs, they were in school gigs. So, but I want to say about John is that after graduation, he was already touring Patty LaBelle and cameo and, uh, and before the Prince stuff. And, um, just a quick word about how amazing John is. He came to Nashville and I had an apartment. He goes, Hey man, and he, he could have stayed in his hotel and he goes, Hey man, I'm in, I'm in town. Can I stay at your house? And at first I was like, ah, you know, I don't know. Like, cause I, we, you know, we've been heated before. <laughs> and, uh, so I was like, yeah. And he came over and we hung out and listened to like his cameo live record. And he was so humble and super proud. And he was like, I'm so happy I got to do this. It's like, it's my favorite band cameo. And I love, you know, I love all this stuff. And I just wanted to kind of throw that out because he definitely gone way too soon. And I yeah. was so shocked that, that he passed away. It's almost like I still can't believe it. And a lot of people knew him, but I was so happy to spend that time with him at my, my apartment at the time and go to see him with Patty LaBelle and just be friends with him, listen to music and not compete and not be yeah that way you are. Like, just like, you know, your, your rival, friendly rival. It was super nice. And then obviously his rise with Prince and he was still always 
up to, you know, when he passed away, so nice and kind to me. He came to Collective Soul show in Florida, and he didn't have to. And then he went out with us, to, you know, after to hang out, and he was just down to earth and so real, and it was just awesome. And then, unfortunately, he has passed away, but, you know, just give my best to John. And uh, the other human being that uh, I thought was an incredible influence on me at, at the school was John Roberts, Went by little John Roberts and uh, John was with DJ Jazzy Jeff at the time he was in Berkeley and John's just gone on to do some what he deserves to be doing these huge huge gigs he grooves so much and uh, if you if you don't know John which you already should if you don't but he's just I think one of the best in the world at drums and uh, so kind of my hats off to everyone that was at school and what they're doing now that's that's from, from Nate to Jeff to Stacy to John and Abe, of course, like Paul McCartney didn't get much bigger, you know, so it's all <laughs> deserved and these guys are ridiculous. It's great. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, you know, we've mentioned um, Collective Soul a couple of times here and, you know, in, in efforts of full yeah. disclosure, I was a huge Collective Soul fan when that first record hit. Um, you know, it was just, yeah. it was so different than, than everything else that everybody was listening to. And, and, you know, this is my one little story. Um, you know, the, the band that I formed, you know, in basically middle school, you know, like eighth yeah. grade, freshman year of high school, those guys are still my best friends, um, to this day. And, and, you know, we almost signed a record deal as, you know, young 20 somethings, you know, and, and we played together for a lot of years, but the singer of that band, Alan Case and myself, we were on spring break. We had gone down to Myrtle beach and it was the first time we were listening to the big rock radio station in Myrtle Beach. It was the first time that I had heard the Dave Matthews band and the first oh, yeah. time the first time I had heard Collective Soul. And I was wow. just like, what the hell is this? Why don't we get this in Kentucky? You know what I'm saying? Um, I do know what you mean. Of course, I, it, that's great. Yeah. And, you know, I, you were, um, you know, a clinician, you know, self-admittedly a, a clinician for a lot of years, but you've been yeah. playing with the Collective Soul guys now since, what, 2012? That's right. This is the beginning of the seventh year of, of uh, working with them. So, so tell me a little bit about that gig. I know it's a great gig, no doubt about it. But when you came in, were you given, you know, kind of free reign to be Johnny Rab, or did they want you to come in and, and play the record, so to speak? There was never a discussion of, of don't be yourself or play the record, but there was a professional uh, opinion from myself of play the record and, and, you know, play the parts of the song and play, play for the song. So uh, I'm not doing clinic style stuff. Um, with collective soul. I'm very happy with the original parts I've been able to come up with for the record that I've been on in, in the past recordings for the new release too. But as I said, my upbringing with, uh, playing songs, there's a difference between, you know, uh, uh, a drum solo for a clinic event and playing with collective soul. So no, Ed didn't say, or no one said stick to the, you know, song, but I'm, I'm proud to say they didn't have to, I knew going in what it would, what you do, you learn the material and do research and play 
for the for the parts, and then if something's said by anyone, you change, and you don't or you don't overthink and get offended if they say change something. You just do it. Um, the only thing that uh, I did without asking was at the time, and I'm, I'm proud of the band because there's no you know like the the word tracks. There's no tracks going while we're playing, and it's so awesome because if I had my SPDSX, which is the sample pad, if I wasn't using that. You wouldn't be like, oh, oh, wow, something's missing. Like, they're, oh, oh, the tracks are missing. Whereas I know for a fact a lot of bands have so many tracks that if they stopped playing, it would still sound like a concert, which is <laughs> <laughs> not super awesome. But I'm proud of the guys that it's like we are a live rock band. And the only thing I did, though, was they had, and a lot of people do this, they had um, loops and samples um, on a laptop. And it was controlled by the drum tech. And I came in obviously being a rolling clinician at the time. And I'm like, um, I'm, can I have all your, you know, original wave files so I can load them in my sampler? And they're like, kind of, huh, what? And I said, just, all I said was, let me try it at the first, you know, get together, um, before the dosage tour, which is 2012. If you don't like it, we'll go back to the, the Mac with the pro tools on it or whatever. So that was the only thing I didn't ask, if you will. I didn't, I didn't say, I just did it. And at rehearsal, I didn't say, you know, to Ed or the guys, hey, guys, I'm doing, I just did, did it. And I'm very happy it worked out because it, it, it's full control now. Like, because I'm, I'm barely playing any samples. If it is, it's a B3 part right. or, or like a intro drum loop or an intro to a song. So what's cool is if a chorus comes and I, you know, hit on like, let's say the middle pad, it's the B3 part, the organ, there's no locking in. It's, I've got to hit it on the downbeat, um, with my, you know, the click going in my in-ears and it's just a tambourine playing eighth notes. And we don't use click a lot for the entire show and it keeps it live. I'm able to, if Ed wants to extend a chorus or it's solo, I can be in charge of starting and stopping the, uh, hitting the pad on hitting it off, hitting it again, that frees up any issue of, Oh God, the, the computer, you know, crashed. It's like, there's no more guessing game. So I am using the Roland SPDSX for the, for the, the same freaking one for the past 12 years. I'm sorry, six years since 2012 is what I meant. Um, and it has been, it's great. So it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm kind of the auxiliary guy sing a little bit of backup. I'm not great, but get to sing with Will and uh, the guys. And, but that's, I just, I just play the part and try to do the best I can to make the show sound musical and, and uh, make the dudes happy. Sure. Well, and, and with you doing the, the triggering, you know, it, it also means that, you know, I, I have seen some bands multiple times on the, on the same tour and mm -hmm. literally you could set a clock by the songs you know, because they're they're clearly playing with tracks, um, you know, and it's going to be the same show whether you see it in Topeka or or Boston. You know, I mean, it's going to be exactly the same. And I think it's cool yep. when you're triggering that stuff. If you guys are, are in the moment and want to do an extra chorus at the end of the song, yep. you can, you know, I mean, it's That's right. Um, and it's just more organic. And. You know, unfortunately, I think if you're not a, a music geek, you know, which I am, um, you That's know, awesome. yeah. you know, but I, I think 
the average concert goer, if they don't hear that drum loop at the intro of the song, they're like, oh, it kind of sucked. You know, <laughs> they they don't well, understand that people, it's not a record, you know. That's what I was just going to say. A lot of people, um, even me as a kid, would be like, man, that band doesn't sound good live. But I was a little clueless as a kid. That was me being like eight years old. If the cars would play it, I'm like, why does it sound just like the record? Weird. I didn't get it. Right. But now, you know, like you just said, there's nothing wrong with this. In fact, I could see this being very useful for some shows. I won't mention the band, but we played with a band on tour, and and I was shocked. I'm like, hey, what do you got going through your ears, your ears to the, the drummer? He's like, oh, man, um, check this out. And I'm like, okay. So I put the headphones on, and it literally was like, and there's nothing wrong with this. There's an art to this, too, and I'm, I'm down with it if, if your show is complicated. But it, this one blew my mind. So Pro Tools is running. Um, anybody that doesn't know what Pro Tools is, it's a recording, obviously, soft, uh, preferred recording software for engineers. So it's running with the tracks, and it's got the click going. And so, you know, remember, I've been doing most of the tour with these guys, and I'm hearing, like, intro with the guitar part going. It literally <laughs> it's tripped me out. It literally, not only did it have the metronome going in the ears, it had, um, so the, I won't even say the names because that would be rude. It said, drums, enter, one, two, three, four. And that was the drummer, four on the floor. And then, I won't say the guitar player's name, lead guitar, two, one, two, and you're in. Really? Chorus, <laughs> two, one more time, and bridge. Here we go. Here is the bridge now. That one floored me floored me i could not believe it it was like if you're falling asleep at the wheel somebody going wake up here you go exit off the freeway it's like the weirdest wow so i mean that's almost kind of like the the nashville thing where you have a musical director that has a second mic and and he's talking into the ears of his band you know to say yeah okay guitar solo extend or whatever um but yeah i would find that really weird and i you know i'm not trying to 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 put anybody down but man if you can't remember your songs why are you on the on the road you know what I'm saying? It's just I do, and and, and you know, for, I I do know what you mean. I will say, in fairness to anybody that's doing that, if you've got a locked in set of tracks you're playing to, even if the tracks are enhancing, I'm not saying that you're not playing anything live. I mean, there's some bands I really have heard heard about that don't play anything. They're playing along to drums. They're playing along to all the vocals. They're singing along with themselves. I have heard that. That is true. Um, but then there's some bands like this one, that's just additional tracks that help beef up the production. I will give, give a little bit of a, like the green light on it for the sake of if they somehow get thrown off, the Pro Tools is not going to stop. So if the form at all gets messed up by any live player, that could be a train wreck. So I do sort of understand the whole, here we go, bridge, one. But I'm with you, I have to say, though, of like, that's a pretty big, <laughs> it's a unique and interesting crutch. Yeah. I've well, never heard of that. I, I mean, you know, I've been in situations where I, I've, I haven't met anybody in the band and I'm doing like a fill in gig kind of deal and they'll send me a list of songs. You'd better bet I know where to come in and where to stop. 
you know, if I, if I take no other notes, it's okay. It's after four bars, the drums come in. You you know what I'm saying? It's just, um, I do buddy. Yeah, I do. So, well, we, we have successfully set that dead horse on fire, I think. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, well, my God. Yeah. So, (laughs) so Johnny, tell us a little bit about, um, what collective soul has going on this spring and summer. Now, at the time that we're recording this, you guys are getting ready to to hit the road, but I know we that yeah. that there may be uh, some some further plans. Is there anything you can give us a sneak peek on? Yeah, uh, definitely. We uh, just released um, a live album, which I'm extremely excited about and proud of because it just marks the the show. It marks everything I've done with them in the last six years for me, and then it also marks the tribute to you know Shane Evans and the and uh the past drummers parts that I get to play uh Ryan Hoyle and uh and then Chaney so those I get to you know what I mean like I have full respect for those dudes and and uh like you said you heard Clint you're like this is different I did the same thing in Nashville I was like I, my band was like dealing with record labels and we weren't you know nailing it like Collective Soul did but good band and I remember hearing that in Nashville going what is this? This is man. Listen to Shane Evans on like December and like I'm like you got to be kidding. This is great. So I'm proud of that. And the album is out. Collective Soul Live. It's like the last year and a half of touring. Documented. Totally represents real playing. I'm I'm so happy that it's like not all doctored up. It's it really captures the live performance. So that's exciting. And, so it, so uh, it's not Kiss Alive, in other words, like com- <laughs> completely recorded in the studio, released as a no. live record. <laughs> no, that's correct. It is Collective Soul live for real, like very, it, it's captured great. I'm so happy with, with everything that came out. And so, if you know, not to plug, but honestly, if you get a chance, that, that represents the, if you want to hear what it's like, you can't make it to a live show. That I, I recommend that one for the live aspect. And then uh, we... See What You Started by Continuing. That's the first record I got to play on. Now we're working on, uh, we've done 10 songs for the new record, and there's rumor that we will uh, work on another 10. We're going to the studio in April. Uh, I know that we talked about like keeping this a little timeless, so I'll say that in a month we'll go in the studio. Okay. And, um, you know, and then record 10 more. Ed is a songwriting machine, so kind of excited to do that. And then... You know, what am I going to try to tell you? Yeah, we hit the road. I do a week as we speak here. I do a week in Colorado with them. And then the recording in a month. And then of uh, in July, uh, and again, I kind of forgot what we were talking about earlier, but I'll say that this is the year of 2018. So this 2018 tour will kick off um, at the end of June and go through the middle of September. With uh, And that one I it's not been announced yet in the sense of what we're doing, but I, I, I hear rumors that we'll be hitting some, hitting some dates. Good deal. Well, you know, I'm sitting here, you know, looking at, uh, at the collective soul website and, uh, it goes up to June 29th of 18 as of right now. So we'll we will wait with bated breath for that announcement and uh, I will tell all of our listeners go hit collectivesoul.com. I am sure yep. those dates will be up there. You can get your tickets. Um, I know you guys do the VIP packages. Uh, so if you want to go yeah. uh, shake Johnny's hand, that's the way to do that for sure. 
Um, so absolutely catch these guys out on the road. It's an incredible show and, uh, you got to go see these guys. Great band. Um, Johnny, one thing that we do here at the drum shuffle with all of our guests, uh, and thank you so much for your time. Uh, we really do appreciate you. you coming on. Uh, but one of the things that we do with all of our guests, we ask, uh, our guests for a good piece of advice for drummers, for musicians, and it can really touch on anything you want, um, whatever theme, you know, how, how to practice better, how to get further in the business, et cetera. But share a, a good piece of knowledge with, with our crowd, if you don't mind. Yeah, I have many ideas, but I'll just kind of say that, you know, it is, remember why we started playing drums or music, and remember that no matter what level you want to take it to, because... I think the moment you forget and, you know, let's say you, you, you feel like you're successful. I think there, you've got to remain humble. You've got to remain polite. You've got to remain uh, nice to folks and uh, be real to folks because unfortunately I've seen a lot of folks, um, some folks stay that way and I love it. And some folks that I'm, I'm saddened to say that if I've seen egos get huge and, out of control. To me, it makes no sense. There's no room for it. Um, and in this modern age of uh, being able to say stuff online, you know, I recommend not saying anything if it's not going to be cool. Um, I just, I just think it's pointless to hide behind a computer and type this dude blows or that's not a cool groove she's playing. It's like, there's, there's no need for that. And uh, it's, it's being cool, being nice, don't step on people that you might have had help from that uh, that helped you, if that makes sense. I, I've I've seen that happen as well. Um, and you know, the other advice is, you know, it's very cheesy sounding, but it's real. If you want to do it, you want to do something, you can do it. It does take time. There's no shortcuts of like practice or not practice, but it's preparation and then being ready when you're prepared. You never know when an opportunity might meet your chance to let someone know what you do. So be prepared. And as rude as it sounds, if you're not prepared, you'll know it because the, uh, the opportunity might pass or somebody else might get the opportunity. So uh, it's important not to fool yourself either and say, Oh, I'm so good. Yeah, I'm totally ready. The big question is, are you, are you ready to really do that? Like, you know, when you, when you watch somebody on YouTube, some of the legends, are you up to that level? Um, that's an important one. So in a nutshell, be kind. It is at the end of life. I, I hope to not see that anytime soon, but, um, we don't know how long we have on earth. And, uh, so be cool because at the end of life, I don't think it really, the drums are going to be the most important thing. Uh, so that's kind of some advice. Well, that's that's really good advice. And, you know, um, a lot of our guests have said very similar things. So uh, I, I hope our crowd is starting to to get the theme here. It's it's all about relationships and being cool to people and being prepared for for your moment when it comes. And if you're not prepared, the train will run you down. <laughs> Because, you know, you just you don't want to be the guy that's like uh, holding somebody back for sure. You know, Um, but. Yep. 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 And 
real quickly, one of the most important things that they don't teach at Berkeley or any school or in drum lessons or whatever, <clears throat> excuse me, is learn to deal with your finances, learn to not abuse credit cards, learn to uh, get a job if you are, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know why I'm coughing. <clears throat> Fantastic. Anyway, pardon me. If you are out of college and you're going for a music career or if you're going for a music career, it's a lot easier, and this is from experience, to just get a job, whether it's waiting tables, bartending, retail. I'm saying as a younger person, it's okay to have multiple careers while you're chasing the music industry game because I hate to be this way, but uh, it is very difficult in my opinion. And even if you are prepared, like we just talked about, there's still a chance that you won't get what you what your goal is. I don't mean that to say you can't reach your goal but it can be disappointing. And one of the most disappointing thing is when it's not happening is if your finances aren't secure or you don't have a secure uh, way of making a living. I'm just going to say that. Well, that's great advice. I mean, you know, when people ask me, you know, what do you do? I'm a professional musician, but I have had a day gig my entire adult life, you know, and I'm, I'm very lucky that it's a cool gig. You know, my boss is a great guy. And if I need to leave for a few days, he's usually pretty cool about that, you know. Um, but, you know, yeah. w- when you have a family, uh, a mortgage, uh, you know, a car payment, whatever the case may be, you got to be able to take care of those responsibilities as well. Uh, so, I, you know, that's for a future episode, I think we might do uh, financial planning for musicians. Uh, so I'll, I'll throw, yeah, I'll throw, good. I'll throw that teaser out there uh, right now. So, uh, but Johnny, honestly, thank you so much for your time. We, thank we, you, Jamie. We really do appreciate it. Uh, we'd love to have you back sometime. Um, you know, I didn't even ask you about the 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 sawtooth sticks. You know, so we'll we'll save that for the next time you come back. How's that? That's perfectly great. I appreciate it, Jamie. Thanks for having me on here. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you real soon, Johnny. Good luck out there. Thank you. Take it easy. All right. Bye-bye. So that's going to do it for episode number 11 of the Drum Shuffle. Uh, Guys, I, I cannot overstate this enough. We have some fantastic guests coming up on future episodes of the show. Just to give you a taste, uh, Jason Smay from J.D. McPherson's fantastic band uh, is going to be our guest next week, so you're going to want to tune in for that. Uh, We are uh, about to book Brian Hitt from REO Speedwagon to be our guest, and I cannot confirm but we are pretty sure that we are going to have a bona fide member of the rock and roll hall of fame coming up for you here pretty soon as soon as i can say who that is you know i will please hit the subscribe button to whatever service you're using to tune in to the show today Uh, leave us a rating or review it helps us tremendously we really do appreciate it as always, we love hearing from you. Send us an email. The Drum Shuffle Podcast at gmail.com is where you can do that. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com, and my personal web address is jamieeds.com. We really do appreciate you listening. We thank you every single week. 
this week is no different. Keep tuning in. We are continuing to grow and we can't do it without any of you guys. So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.